0: Last week, we began learning what it means to be a super conqueror through Christ. It's in our weakness that we begin to experience the power of God. Humanly speaking, when it comes to a conqueror, we think think of the conqueror as well. The conqueror is the one who is always the strong one, the victor over the vanquished, the person of strength and resources, someone who gets what he wants, isn't burdened by suffering and never goes without. But to be a conqueror in Christ is very different to that. The one who conquers is the one who endures in their faith. The one who, despite what's happening, whether it be persecution or poverty, whether it be sickness or disease or abuse or ridicule, the conqueror is the one whose faith in Jesus continues to endure through all of these things. We also learn that in our weakness, there are times when we don't even know what to pray for. And in these times, the Holy Spirit prays on our behalf. And we know that the Holy Spirit uh, will always pray according to God's will. When we pray, the flesh sometimes gets in the way of that. Um, The the flesh craves for things like health, wealth, a, a long, easygoing life. And sometimes that gets in the way of what God's will is. And so sometimes we will find that our prayers aren't getting answered by God. Um, because we're, we've been praying for what the flesh has been craving for, rather than praying according to the Spirit. And in these times, we just need to be honest with God and say, Lord, I don't know what your will is. I, I know what I want to happen, and this is what I've been praying, but you haven't been answering this prayer. Lord, is that prayer not being answered because you're wanting me to pray for something different? Uh, Lord, what is your will? What do you want me to be praying for? And then let the Lord take it from there. And sometimes the Lord will just show you what you need to be praying for and you can start praying for that thing. But at other times, we may never know what the Holy Spirit has prayed on our behalf. But we know that when when we don't know what to pray, the groanings of the heart, the Holy Spirit knows what's in our heart and the Holy Spirit will pray on our behalf. But we know that we can always trust in the Lord, even if we don't know what the Holy Spirit is praying for. We can always trust in the Lord because verse 28 says, and we know that for those who love God, is there anyone here who loves God? Uh, Yep, right. So for you lot, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. God for knew us. That means he knew you. He knew me. Even before the world was created, he knew us. He predestined us to be changed, to become like his son. He called us, he justified us, and he has glorified us, and nothing is ever going to get in the way of the Lord completing this work. And so we can always trust that in all things, even the tough times, these things work together for the good that God is doing in all of its finality. We just have to have faith. You know, we, we like to just see everything line up and good, 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 good. Um, but we don't realise that sometimes there's tough times amongst that, but that's leading, it's all part of God doing his good. So that's a brief summary of what we learned about last week. This week we're concentrating from verses 31 to 39. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39 contain some of the greatest hope and comfort and assurance that you're going to find anywhere in the Bible. And today we're going to begin by clarifying who is this hope for? Who is this hope promised to? And who is it not promised to? And then we're going to talk about how this hope applies for us. But before we begin, let's pray. Lord, We thank you that in our weakness, you become our strength. And Lord, we thank you for the words of hope that we're about to hear. As you speak to us today, fill us with this hope. Fill us with confidence in Christ. Show us how you will carry us through every trouble and hardship that we encounter, that we may be super conquerors through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Amen. So let's begin from verse 38. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a wonderful promise, isn't it? What a wonderful assurance that nothing will ever, ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And quite often we read that verse at funerals. You've heard it read at funerals, hey? Yep. But who is the promise being made to? Who is the us? Sorry, what did you say, Celia? You you got it? Those? Yeah. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Who is the us? Well, obviously, it's referring to Christians, to disciples of Jesus Christ. But some people take this passage as a proof text for a doctrine which I actually don't believe is true, uh, the doctrine of once saved, always saved. Uh, the Calvinists would call it the perseverance of the saints. The brethren would call it eternal security. But essentially, it means the same thing. They would argue that if at some point in your life, you made a commitment to Jesus. And if, that time, if at that time you meant it in your heart, you are saved and nothing can ever take you away from that, take that salvation away again. Even if later on in life you decide that you hate God and you hate everything about God, even if you decide, oh, I'm not going to follow Jesus anymore and essentially turn your backs on Jesus and, and lose your faith, they would say that that means nothing because God has already called you, he's already predestined you, and nothing can take you out of his hands. So you see their logic? If someone gives their life to Jesus, they're saved, they've begun the race, and they believe that somebody who has begun the race is guaranteed to complete the race. And it doesn't matter what you do after that, you're still saved because nothing can separate you from the love of God. Now, that's the premise of once saved, always saved. And I suspect there are countless people who will find themselves in hell because they've been taught that it doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter how they behave. It doesn't matter what they now believe. It doesn't matter what their relationship with God is like now. If they just at some point in their life prayed the sinner's prayer, then somebody's given the assurance where you're saved and nothing can ever take that away. But let me say, in pretty much every text that gets used to prove the once saved, always saved doctrine, if you actually read that verse in its context, it doesn't really say what they're claiming that it says at all. And today's reading is a case in point. Who are the us in these verses? If nothing in all of creation is able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, who are the us? Well, the answer's right there in the verse itself. It's those who hold Jesus as their Lord. Whenever anybody ever quotes a verse to you, even me, that's probably especially me, always go back to your Bible and read it in its context. What's the saying? A a text out of context is a pretext. What that means is that a verse taken out of the Bible and held out on its own will very often appear to say something completely different to really what it's really talking about. And in its context, Romans 8 is definitely not talking about those who began following Jesus, but then later on decided that other things were more important to them. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Romans chapter 8 is talking about those who would rather die than give up their faith in Jesus. It's talking about those who are being persecuted for their faith. But in that persecution, they keep on believing. The aim of persecution is trying to get you to stop believing and give up on Jesus. But through this persecution, they were continuing on. Verse 28 says, And we know that for those who love God, you hearing that? For those who love God. All things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. It's not for those who don't love God anymore. It's not for those who maybe used to love God. It's not for those who made a commitment at some time in their life, but then gave up on that and started following the flesh instead of following the spirit. In verse 36, it says, for your sake, whose sake? It's talking about Jesus. We are being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Who's the we? Well, it's definitely not someone who's lost their faith. It's for those who are so strong in their faith that they would even die for the sake of Jesus. And you might be sitting here wondering, well, I can say that, but would I really? When it actually comes to the crunch, would I really? Well... That's where the Holy Spirit takes over for you. Stop questioning yourself. Make a determination now in your heart. I will die for you, Jesus, if it comes to that. And the Holy Spirit keeps us strong. If we had more time, I could take you right throughout the New Testament. I could show you verses like Colossians chapter 1, where it tells us what God has done to save us and how we will be presented Holy and blameless before Him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. You see, this is the overall picture painted in the New Testament. It's a picture of exhortation and urging on, a cheering on to continue to persevere. Because when we persevere, With God's help, right? This isn't something that we can do on our own. We need God's help to persevere. But with God's help, when we persevere and when we endure in the faith, nothing can ever, ever, ever take us away from God's love. Nothing can ever separate us from God, even in these times of trouble. So that's what it's about. It's not about promising good things to those who have turned their backs on Jesus. It's about building our confidence so that we will continue to endure for Christ. So, I already asked the question before, do you love Jesus? Yeah. Are you a disciple of Jesus? Yep. If so, this passage is for you. Romans chapter 8 is a passage for you. You're one of the us. You're one of those who will not ever be separated from the love of God. So that's, that's got a bit of the warning out of the way. Now let's discover what the blessing is all about. Whenever Jesus makes a promise, you can always count on that promise. Do you agree with me? Yeah? Okay. And a lot of Christians are very much into claiming the promises of God. But here's a few promises that have been made to disciples of Jesus. And strangely enough, I don't hear too many Christians claiming these promises for themselves. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 22, Jesus said, And you will be hated for my name's sake. Have you heard a Christian claiming that promise? Lord Jesus, you've promised me that I'll be hated. When's this hate going to begin, Lord? Please bring it on. Nobody's heard anyone claim that one? No. But the end of that promise is is pretty good too. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Here's another promise. Jesus said, Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Anybody heard them claim that one? No. Mark chapter 10, verse 29. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. I have heard people claim that one. Have you heard people claim that one? It's usually when an offering message has been given uh, just before the offering's taken up and somebody's up and said, you know, the Lord has promised that if we give then he's going to give us back a hundredfold. So you put $10 in and and, and you'll get a $1,000 back from God, okay? But they never claim the whole promise because that's not the end of the promise. With persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Luke chapter 21 verse 12, Jesus said, but before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake this will be your opportunity to bear witness in john 15 verse 20 jesus said remember the word that i said to you a servant is not greater than his master if they persecuted me they will persecute you some of you might be sitting here and i don't like these promises you're bringing to us michael Second Timothy chapter 3, Paul said, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, if you're someone who claims the promises of God, do you claim these ones? One of the marks of being a Christian is being persecuted for our faith. But here's some good news. Just about every promise of persecution is accompanied by a promise of reward or strength or hope or all three. Just look at the first quote that I gave. Matthew chapter 10, verse 22. Jesus said, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. These aren't bad promises. These are realistic promises. This is what will happen. And this is how I will be with you. And this is a picture of hope that the New Testament paints for us as Christians. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But as we endure persecution with joy, we do it because God is with us. He will not desert us. He will carry us through to his glorious inheritance. Just because things are going bad in life, that doesn't mean that you're outside of God's will. This is simply Jesus keeping his promises. Jesus promised us that this life will be tough. And at times it's going to be almost unbearable. But that's okay. He also promised us glory. But today I want to ask a question. When God promised to be with us and to strengthen us, is that a promise which is only limited to those times when we're suffering persecution because of our faith? Is God's promise to be with us and to strengthen us limited to times when we're being persecuted for our faith in Jesus? I don't believe it is. Every person in the world endures times of trouble. It's part of the fallen world in which we live. Acute illness, chronic illness, chronic pain that just goes on and on. Enduring chemotherapy or radium. Living with cancer. Dying with cancer. The emotional pain of a child who, when they grew up, they decided they hated your guts They won't even talk to you. Times when, for some reason, someone hates you. When you're being bullied. When no one wants to be your friend. And you feel that you don't have any friends at all. When the bills come in and there's nothing left to pay them. When you're feeling tired and weary. And there seems to be no rest. When you're worried. And you just can't seem to get to sleep at night because the worry just overwhelms you. Through depression and anxiety, for some, it's when the, in the times when they feel that there is just nothing that can make it better. And they feel that it would be less painful if they just ended their own life. What about in these times? It's not persecution. Is God with us then? I saw one person nod. A few more nods. Of course he's with us then. Can't, in those sorts of times, can't we feel the love of God right there with us? Disciples of Jesus have this extra something that gets us through this, these times. And one of the most meaningful testimonies that any of us can ever give is to share it with others how at times when we've been really going through the ringer, how we've experienced the Lord carrying us. You know, some people think the best testimonies to be able to share is is the miraculous things where everything just disappeared and I've got this great and wonderful life and, and sharing that testimony. But you know what? To a hurting world, that just makes them feel, oh... I'm definitely not like you. But when we share how God has been with us through the trials and tribulations and tough times, that's something a hurting world can identify with. The Lord is with us through every trouble, through every hardship, and nothing can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. You might get falsely accused and the whole world might turn against you. Where's your hope then? Well, our hope is in God who justifies, because even if every single person in the whole wide world condemns you, Jesus died for you. You might say to me, but but Michael, the trouble is it's not a false accusation. It's actually true. I actually did those things that I was accused of. And I'm so ashamed. Here I am, I'm supposed to be a Christian, and, and I did these horrible things, and I've brought God's name into disrepute. I feel so terrible. And my question to you would be Well, have you confessed that sin to Jesus? Have you repented and asked for forgiveness? You have? Well, the Lord has forgiven you already. Stop condemning yourself. Remember the verse we learned a few weeks ago? Can you remember that one? Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if we've confessed our sin and we've been forgiven, if you're still feeling condemned, if you're still feeling this condemnation, who's condemning you? It's not Jesus. It's Satan. The devil knows that one of his most effective tools for destroying Christians is to get them to doubt their forgiveness. In the book of Revelation, he is described, Satan is described as the accuser. He is the one who accuses the saints of God before the throne of God 24-7. He's right there in, in God's face. Day in, day out, night and day, just accusing us and accusing us and accusing us and saying, oh, that Michael Brumpton, you wouldn't believe what he's just done. Look, he's just done such and such. But, you know, it shouldn't really be such a worry to us. Satan might be accusing us before God, but Jesus is at the right hand of God sticking up for us. The devil might be accusing us, but Jesus is defending us. And he's saying, you say that he did that. But the thing is, he must have confessed that because somehow I don't remember him doing that. Somehow he must have He must have repented of that because when I look into his heart, I don't see that sin there anymore. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we need to continually remind ourselves that when we repent of the things that we've done and when we seek the mercy of God, we are forgiven completely. Verse 35 asks, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Do you think anybody's trying this might surprise you, but actually they are. Um, a lot of people would just love to see this happen, to see Christians separated from Christ. It's a spiritual attack. I remember when I was a student at Ag College, uh, one of the lads in my dorm made it his mission to try and teach me to swear. Um, he had limited success. Um, to my shame, he had a little bit of success. Others tried to get me to drink. They wanted to get me drunk. And others wanted me to get looking at their dirty magazines. Why were they doing that? Because the righteousness of Christians exposes their unrighteousness. And so they do their best to tear us away from Christ. On Vision FM this week, I heard them talking about the persecuted church in North Korea. Now, Most of you have probably heard before, North Korea is the most dangerous place in the world to be a Christian. Why? Well, because their leader is worshipped like a god. It's part of their control. And Christians know that there is only one god who we should worship. And so Christians are being imprisoned. They're being re-educated and they're being executed to try and separate them from Christ. But, of course, that's an absolute impossibility. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. In a number of Muslim countries, Christians are targeted and the authorities sometimes take a part in this and they confiscate everything that the Christians have, forcing them into poverty. In other places, it's like Christians have a target painted on their back and they're fair game for anybody who wants to have a go at them, and the authorities turn a blind eye and won't protect them. To an extent, we're beginning to see Christians being targeted in the West. Um, You've probably heard the story of the Christian baker who refused to decorate a cake for a same-sex wedding, and now they've been charged under anti-discrimination laws. And we're beginning to see more and more of this of christians getting targeted Um, they're attempting to beat christ out of us can they separate us from christ no way no way not even death can separate us from the lord in fact death just moves us straight through to glory but if that's the case if death moves us straight through to glory Well, what prevents us from just ending it all right now? And that way we won't have to worry about persecution anymore. What advantage is there in living? I'll tell you what the advantage is. Life is a gift from God. And don't you ever forget it. Life does not separate us from the love of God. And sometimes it's in what we consider to be the very worst experiences of life when we feel most loved by God. Because that's when we just, we've got nothing else to turn to and we just draw in close to God and he draws close to us. For disciples of Jesus, life is an opportunity to not only experience and feel and know the love of God, life is an opportunity to be witnesses of God's love to others. Sometimes people ask me, why do Christians suffer? Why doesn't God just heal us? Why is God letting me go through this? And the answer, well, it's one of those answers that it's very simple to say. Not so simple to accept. He wants you to experience his love. He wants you to lean on him. He wants you to help others who don't know him to know that his love is real that's the reason that christians suffer it's not it's not so that we can have it just for ourselves it's also so that we can be witnesses did you know that when christians suffer they become witnesses for christ Now, some of us might think, well, in my times of suffering, that just shows weakness and I just don't want people to know about this. Sometimes we just don't want to admit that it's happening. You know what you're missing? You're missing an opportunity to be a witness of God with you in suffering. Because this is where real faith kicks in, in life. Um, you know some of us think that this christianity thing it's just like a like a life insurance policy you know so that you know when i die that that's where my faith kicks in my faith is then i'll go to be with god but real faith kicks in not not just in death real faith kicks in in life how we live our life is where our faith gets tested And nothing can separate us from the love of God in life. Satan and his demons might try to attack us. And let me assure you, these attacks are very real. Um, But they can't separate us from the love of God. And if God is willing, He can just crush them with his little finger and he will one day. They'll be thrown into the fires of hell. Nothing today and nothing in the future can ever hurt us. Did you know that in Australia anxiety is the most common mental health condition? On average, one in 4 people, that's one in 3 women and one in 5 men will experience anxiety. According to the Beyond Blue website, anxiety is with when anxious feelings don't subside, when they're ongoing and exist without any particular reason or cause. It's a serious condition that makes it hard to cope with daily life. It says, everyone feels anxious from time to time, but for someone experiencing anxiety, these feelings can't be easily controlled. And it also tells us that in a 12-month period, over 2 million Australians experience this clinical anxiety. I find those figures staggering. Over two million Australians experience anxiety every year. Are Christians exempt from this condition? No, they're not. At times, some Christians are crippled by anxiety. And if that's you... You need to hear these words that says that there is nothing. There's nothing today and there's nothing in the future that will separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. In Philippians chapter 4 verse 5 it says, The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. There's the answer to anxiety. The Lord is with us. The Lord is at hand. In everything. We can feel his love. We can experience his peace. There is no power. There is no height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation that is able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nice words. But is that some kind of cliche? Is it a trite saying? not at all and we know it's not we know that these words are real we know that this promise is real how do we know experience we look back and we remember the times our god has been with us already and we think about well if god has sent his son to die for us he's not going to abandon us now if he's already demonstrated this much love, his love isn't going to come to an end. It's not like God has got this bottle of love and he's sort of been pouring it out and, um, it's sort of, you know, like the tomato sauce bottle. You can squeeze them these days and they make that rude sound. And then it's all of a sudden it's just air. It's not like God's love is like that. It's just going to almost completely run out and then it just runs dry altogether. The love of God is his very nature. The love of God is tied to his presence and his power. His love is immeasurable and so is his presence and his power. His love is inexhaustible and so is his presence and his power. His love is eternal and so is his presence and his power. His love carries us in life and so does his presence and his power. His love is with us in death and so is his presence and power. God loves you and he is present for you and he is powerful for you. Life is our opportunity to experience this love and to experience his presence and to experience his power. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love, for your presence And your power. Lord we thank you that there is nothing in this life. That can separate us from your love. Not even death. Lord help us to truly know this. Help us to feel your love. Lord give us faith. And hope. In every troubled time. That through Jesus Christ our Lord. We will be super conquerors. In Christ. Amen.